Hi, Door of Hope family. My name is Michelle Van Bogart, and I'm coming to you from my home in East Portland. Today's scripture reading is going to be John 12, 12 through 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Lord Jesus, we just join together with the first believers in gratitude and excitement at your coming, your first coming, and Lord, anticipation of your next coming. Lord, this week we're keenly aware that we are not where we need to be and things are not how they need to be. So Lord, we trust you and we eagerly anticipate your next uh, coming. Lord, we also identify with the early believers in not fully understanding and not completely knowing everything that's going on. So Lord, would you just illuminate our hearts and our minds and give us excitement and gratitude for you today? And would you help us to also join the first believers to continue to bear witness and to point toward the cross in everything that we do? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, happy Palm Sunday, everyone. At least, at least I hope it's a happy Palm Sunday for you so far. I know these are these are heavy times. Um, even this week, having another uh, incredible national tragedy happen. This time, another mass shooting out of Colorado. Um, I hope that you're grieving well through that. I hope you're, uh, as many of us are, being forced to learn the the practice of of genuine biblical lament, bringing these these cries and these heartbreaks before the Lord, uh, not sugarcoating them for him or for anyone else, but bringing the full weight of them to him in prayer and confession, just sharing and, uh, and knowing that he can handle that. So, um, yeah, I hope, I hope that, uh, hope that you're doing well, all things considered, hope that in your, in your communities and whatever else we can continue to just pray and, um, and be people of the kingdom in the face of these, continually mounting tragedies. Um, but it is Palm Sunday. It is Palm Sunday, which kicks off Holy Week. Um, and Holy Week, Passion Week, I don't know how much you've, you've thought about it. I don't know how much you know about it. Um, you know, depending on the church tradition you come from, you, you may, it may be kind of a non-entity for you, or it may be a deeply rich and significant one for your sort of, uh, yearly rhythm with the Lord. Um, for a whole lot of church traditions, really Holy Week or also known as Passion Week and then Easter, which really is the beginning of the next week, um, has, has traditionally been the most important season in church history. Um, it's the focal point. It's kind of the biggest celebration, the biggest point of reflection, the, the thing where everything kind of points and hinges. Um, and uh, it's interesting to know the majority of all four of the Gospels that we have in the Bible, they, 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 they each spend the bulk of their time on the events of this last week, of Holy Week, of Jesus' last week leading up to his crucifixion. Um, 
just before Easter. Um, and they, that, what that seems to be saying is that in, in the passion narrative, the story from when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, faces off uh, with the religious leaders, does his final bits of teaching with his disciples, and then is ultimately betrayed, arrested, crucified, um, and then raised. That's where we get kind of the most clear picture and the, the details and the meaning of Jesus's life and ministry snaps into focus for us. Um, and so it's right and good for us to try to increasingly take this week as, as a monumental opportunity to recenter ourselves around those things, um, to revisit them, to think through them, to pray through them, to discuss them, uh, to set aside time to read through these narratives in the scripture and so on and so forth. And so um, we're going to try to do our part to, as Dwarf Hope Northeast to make this feel like a, a significant week. Um, after today's message, um, we're going to, uh, over the course of the week, get to hear three different kind of devotionals from just different members of our community, non-staff, non-elder members of our community. And so um, those are going to come out via our podcast uh, over the course of the week. So if you're not subscribed to the Door of Hope Northeast podcast, you can do that wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but but those are going to be an awesome blessing for us. Just another check-in um, each of those days just to kind of reorient ourselves and to, to think through these things. Um, and then for Good Friday... We're going to be hosting an in-person here at the building kind of drop-in silent prayer and reflection time, uh, which is a little bit different uh, from anything we've done in this past year as a church. Um, but you can drop in for as short or as long, you know, five, ten minutes just to come in um, and, and get out. Uh, you could stay for an hour, two hours, whatever. Um, but we're going to, you can come anytime between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. And you're invited to just come sit pray, reflect, uh, take communion, um, but we're going to do that kind of together, but in silence, uh, just to kind of, kind of create a, 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 a kind of that sacred moment, a quiet moment of reflective moment for us. Um, and masks and social distancing uh, will be required. We'll have the chairs, you know, separated as we do. Uh, we ask that you bring a mask, um, but yeah, we're going to do that. So that'll be That'll be exciting. And then, of course, we have our 10 a.m. worship gathering for Easter Sunday that will kind of uh, cap, cap off all the, all the festivities. And so uh, you can register for that at the link on our website or in our newsletter. But yeah, we hope that, this, uh, hope that today, Sunday, Palm Sunday, begins uh, an important week for you in, in thinking about Jesus. Uh, and today we are going to look, we're going to step out of the Gospel of Mark and we're going to get into um, the Gospel of John for kind of all this Holy Week and Easter stuff. Um, uh, because we'll obviously revisit all this in Mark when we get to it. So we thought it'd be good to step out of Mark, come do it in a different Gospel. Um, but I, I want to start before we intro the, the John Palm Sunday passage uh, with just this question of, you know this phrase, um, that someone knows just enough, has just enough information to be dangerous. Um, and that's, that's really another way of talking about what, what's sometimes called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which comes from the study that these two uh, folks did, that basically postulates this, that, that when uh, we only know a little bit about something, we really can't accurately judge how little we actually know about it. Um, like when you know just enough about something, you can begin to get this false idea that uh, you know more than you do. Um, it actually can exacerbate your ignorance on the thing because you at least trick yourself into thinking you know more. And we all have this one friend that, you know, listens to one podcast on something 
and then suddenly is kind of waltzing around like they're the expert. And I know that I've done this before. I'm probably going to do it on something in this sermon. <laughs> I hope not, but, but maybe so. But yeah, we all have this tendency in us, and it happens to me all the time. I, I can think of times in seminary, especially early on in seminary. That was kind of like a, a serious, like pressure cooker for this kind of thing where I'd kind of speak arrogantly in a class about something and then the press professor would kind of push back and I would just kind of sink down into silence realizing man I actually have no idea what I'm talking about and I need to stop talking so authoritatively about this stuff um I remember joining a a a group of uh filmmakers I'm not a filmmaker but you know one day I'd like to make some some little short films or whatever and I was in a group with some people that have been actually getting films made and, uh, you know, they've been writing and they've been directing and all these kinds of things. And me with kind of my armchair knowledge waltzing into these meetings and then kind of instantly, you know, at the end of the first meeting being like, I need to do a lot less talking. <laughs> um, you know, it happens in serious context when we're actually trying to walk through something hard with a family member, a friend, a person from our church community. Um, where we th- we listen to a little bit of the story and then we rush to like prescribe what needs to happen or whatever um actually not knowing it, how deep our ignorance is on what they're actually experiencing what they've been through really what we need to be doing is devoting a lot more time to just learning the situation and if you've been on the op- receiving end of that you know how infuriating it is um man even just our city portland like uh, be it be it news stories or I think specifically of like Portlandia and how so many people like basically make these decisions about what Portland is and what it's like and uh, based based on sketches that they've you know and they haven't even seen the whole show they've seen an episode of the show and suddenly they're experts on sort of Portland culture and it's annoying you've probably been annoyed by that I'm guessing um, but we have this dynamic with Jesus as as Holy Week begins uh, the Palm Sunday story is a dramatic story. Uh, uh, ultimately, we're, as we're going to see, it's it's a coronation. It's it's the kind of presentation, in a sense, of Jesus as the King. And it's no mistake, even in the first chapter of Mark that we've been studying, it's like this kingly allusions, references, claims. They're all over the place. But 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 Palm Sunday marked the time where Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the holy city, ready to publicly acknowledge himself. Uh, in this way. Um, and there were people that were ready for it. They were excited for it. They, they could see that that is what was happening. But is it possible that they knew just enough to be dangerous? Is it possible that the little bit of familiarity they had actually ended up blinding them in some ways to uh, the more important truths of what was even happening that day? I think so. And so we're going to jump into this story. So in John 12, we're going to start in verse 12. Obviously, it's been read for us, but the first verse here, verse 12, says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And this next day is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter. Um, uh, it, It marks the beginning of Holy Week, which concludes with Good Friday and Holy Saturday, and then obviously Resurrection Sunday, Easter, begins the next week. We've already mentioned that. But the huge crowd... Uh, that's in Jerusalem is is made up of pilgrims, people who are making this pilgrimage to come to Jerusalem, the city where the temple resides, uh, for the Feast of Passover. Um, And Israel would have been jam 
packed with people coming to celebrate in the city. So the population would just be booming as all these people, all these Jews are coming to travel to celebrate uh, the Passover feast. And Passover specifically is significant here because what Passover commemorated was God's deliverance of his people Israel from slavery in Egypt. God's great act of liberating his, his, his enslaved people from Egypt. And, and every Passover, messianic hopes would have been spinning in people's minds because they're still longing. Remember, they're always longing for the Messiah to come, the anointed king, the promised one who is going to lead Israel back out of captivity and into um, a new promised land to bring about peace for them, to bring about freedom for them. And at this point in history, Israel had been subjugated by multiple ancient kingdoms back to back to back to back to back. Now it's Rome. And so at Passover, once again, people are hoping and dreaming, like, is this going to be the time when God acts again to save, to liberate, to free us from the Roman oppressors? And they were oppressors. The, the, the Romans, Romans, uh, Rome's boot was heavy on the neck of Jerusalem and Israel. Um, some commentators even point out that because of this, the large number of people streaming in, because of this messianic kind of king hope that they had, that, that, that Rome would have had troops available in Jerusalem at this time, ready to respond to a potential riot that could have broken out. That's the kind of tension, excitement, but like also a little bit scary uh, energy that was, that was in the city. And so it says that in verse 13, we move on. They took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him. This is the crowd. And they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Verse 14, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, um, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So the king enters. So, so Jesus is coming into the, into the city. And, you know, Craig Keener, the commentator, points out one expected military heroes to ride horses <laughs> or to be drawn in like big chariots. Uh, he goes on to say, Jesus came as a meek, non-military official would, following Zechariah 9.9, which is where that quote comes from that, that, uh, that John quotes there. Um, and this is called, you, you've, so we've, we've been using the language Palm Sunday, but this event, this moment of Jesus riding in on this donkey is often called the triumphal entry. It's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's the king coming in triumph to claim his throne. <laughs> but it's a very Jesus-y entry, right? It's a very Jesus-y sense of triumph. It's, it's very humble. He announces his, his arrival in the city in a very humble way. And I, I love, again, what commentator Bruce Milne says. He says, he is the king of Israel, but not like Judas Maccabeus, who enters the city on a war horse. If you don't know him, he's another would-be Messiah that had come before. Nor is he like Solomon. Rather, he's the king of whom Zechariah had promised, who comes, quote, gentle and riding on a donkey, who, quote, will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and through whom, quote, the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to river and to the ends of the earth. And so we get this hint here 
Um, and, and Jesus choosing not to come in on a war horse, but in a humble donkey. We get this sense. I think Milne is right. It's laying the track for what we're going to discover about Jesus as we continue to read more and more about him and read the reflect, further reflection of the letters of the New Testament. But his rule is not going to be militaristic, but peaceful. <laughs> and, and his rule is not going to be nationalistic, ultimately. It's not going to be kind of the nationalistic picture that so many of the Israelites would have wanted, but it's going to be global, extended to all nations. Um, it's not going to be fundamentally political, but it's going to be spiritual. And of course, we do a whole sidebar on how, of course, our spiritual uh, lives and relationship with God needs to inform our politics, and that's, that's not what I'm saying. But fundamentally, it's not uh, short-term political <laughs> things. It's infinite, eternal, spiritual things. Um, longing for simple political deliverance instead of what Jesus actually offers. It's like that C.S. Lewis quote, you know, he, he talks about this idea of someone being content to just, I don't, I didn't look it up, but I, from memory, it's something like people being content to kind of play with mud pies because they can't even imagine the idea of a holiday at sea. Um, people, <laughs> people, wanted Jesus to come and be sort of overthrow Rome. Well, great. That would be amazing. Uh, and you know what? The Roman Empire did fall, <laughs> you know, not, not too long after all of this. But then what? He overthrows Rome. Then what? They're still left with these cycles of evil, violence, injustice, sin, death, sickness, corruption. Yeah, I mean, name every product of the fall. Um, what Jesus is offering is so much greater and grander and beautiful, more beautiful than what they're expecting um, that causes problems for them. Um, you know, the reality is that Jesus will put all things right, including every bit of oppression, including the oppression of the Romans. Uh, that was eventually going to come to an end one way or another, but not in the sort of cosmetic, I don't know, virtue signaling, performative inch deep ways that we often want. He didn't come to just deal with Roman oppression or economic equality um, or even something like gun violence, as tragic as it is. He didn't come to just narrowly deal with those things. He hates them all. But, but, but by fundamentally remaking and renovating the human heart and thus the whole world and thus the functioning of everything. That's what, he's, that's what he came to do. Um, he came to kill sin and death at the root of them. Um, and then all those other things will and can be dealt with. Even in the here and now, we, we have the capacity to work uh, as God's kingdom people to end those things. But even knowing that one day they're going to meet their final decisive end at his return, uh, when the new heavens and the new earth are, are brought about. That's the hope of resurrection. It's not small. It's bigger than we could possibly imagine. And it deals with all the small things. Um, but it's grander and it's more subversive and it's more powerful and it's more surprising. Well, what we also see here is that, you know, the, the people are, are really praising Jesus here. They are, they are declaring him all kinds of amazing things of him. And other gospel accounts even include additional details like the crowds were laying down their cloaks on the road, in addition to these palms, others were calling him the son of David, recognizing him as the rightful heir to David's throne. Others were, call, were saying, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. 
Uh, but here in John, we get this phrase, uh, Hosanna, which means, oh, save or God save. And, and, and both this and the next line of verse 9 come from Psalm 118, 25 through 26. Um, and Psalms really 113 through 118, which are called the Hallel, were regularly sung at the Passover season. Um, so these words were going to be fresh on everyone's mind. Hopes uh, for the restoration of the Davidic kingdom were running high. Um, Craig Keener points that out. Um, the, the crowd identified Jesus as the king of Israel, and the palm branches were frequently used as symbols of victory and kingship. So that's what's going on here. This kingly declaration from people. In some ways, it's divine declaration from people. It's massive. And for all of the Gospel of John and, and the other Gospels as well, for the most part, it's depicted that Jesus is avoiding the title. He, he knows who he is. And he's, he's, he's allowing people to see it to some measure, but he doesn't step into the limelight uh, for all kinds of reasons, I think. But he would flee from people trying to enthrone him in the, moment bef- in the moments before this. But now, he finally is ready to accept the recognition. He doesn't evade, doesn't go hide, doesn't run away. He says, yes, now is the time. I'm going to ride in and I'm going to accept the people's declarations and the praises publicly um, and their strategy here. Jesus was now ready to accept the title of king uh, and the consequences, the consequences that were going to come with that, the political consequences. Like before he wasn't ready yet, he had more ministry to do, but now he's ready to accept it. And he knows that this is going to put him on the fast track to his own death, his execution. But he's ready. The time has come. And so this is huge. It's like a mini coronation that Jesus accepts. He steps into willingly, but it contributes to the speed of his execution because it's radical. Um, And just note that interesting editorial comment here where it says that that the disciples didn't really understand the significance of all these things. Um, They didn't really, I mean, it's interesting. It's it's nice to note that the disciples still had this evolving understanding of who Jesus was during their time with him when he was, Uh, kind of doing his public ministry. Um, They probably like didn't understand the prophetic or messianic significance of of this moment in full until much, much later. You could imagine someone asking like, why is this guy, why is he riding the donkey again? Oh yeah, there's that Zechariah 9-9 thing, but okay, well, this is, I don't know. John makes this comment several times that, that the disciples later on would be able to put the pieces together. And when they did, that must have been really powerful to realize. But I, there's grace here for us because uh, what this means is that um, we're in good company when we miss the significance of the things that Jesus says and does. <laughs> when we miss the significance of what Jesus says and, says and does, we're not alone. You're not alone. I'm not alone. Uh, even those closest to him who lived with him for years, they didn't see it at the time. Um, the disciples were in the same boat as us. Um, but we move on and see that not only was this coronation, was it beginning to dawn in some measure on the people that, oh, perhaps this Jesus is the Messiah King. Perhaps this is the time where we're going to be liberated. Perhaps this is the time where our freedom's going to come. Perhaps this is the time where our hopes are going to be fulfilled. Um, then we see that the fame begins to spread. 
Verse 17 says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. Okay, we've just jumped into the Gospel of John, but if you're not familiar with that story, just a little bit before in this Gospel, Jesus had raised one of his friends from the dead who had died. He had resuscitated him back to life supernaturally. And um, word's getting out. That's a dramatic moment. Word is getting out about it, and the word is spreading. These people are telling the tale. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, they said, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The Pharisees recognized that Jesus's popularity was ascending. Uh, if, if their plan was to diminish his kind of influence, it wasn't working. They were not effective. But back all the way in John 11, well, sorry, all the way in the previous chapter, John 11, the Sanhedrin had already made its plans to kill Jesus. They had already decided, we're going to kill this guy. Um, now they just had to quietly sort of wait for their opportunity. And so what's going to happen? Okay, that's the text. That's the Palm Sunday text in John. That's the triumphal entry. The palms are laid down. The kingship is declared. It's this dramatic moment, an exciting moment. But what happens next? This is where, again, the, the Dunning-Kruger effect comes into play, where these people who are willing to declare him king, uh, they don't really know fully what's going on here. They know enough to make this declaration. They know enough to be excited. But, it, but they don't know the nature of this king. Um, Palm Sunday was a day of great applause, of cheering, of celebration for Jesus. And that's great. But what comes next? Well, the end, <laughs> towards the end of Holy Week, we have days of betrayal, a, a day of arrest, a day of rejection, a day of torture, a day of, of death, of public execution, um, and, and a day of burial. Like a day of applause to that kind of day. <laughs> That's what's coming. And, you know, many in the crowd were able to go along with the donkey, the donkey king thing. Oh, yeah, that's from Zechariah. Yeah, yeah, I heard, I remember that. They could, get, they could get behind a humble king to some degree. Maybe they recognize, oh, this is amazing. The king is, is far more humble than what we're used to seeing. But this wasn't the low point of Jesus' humility, right? This, this wasn't the low point. <laughs> um, in some ways, uh, if this was in some ways the beginning of this coronation, the, the cross is going to be the enthronement. That's his throne. A Roman torture device devised specifically for maximal cruelty and humiliation. Um, Jesus uh, at his enthronement is not going to be given a crown of gold and jewels, but, but a crown of thorns. He's, he's not going to be given... Um, you know, some, some sort of serious <laughs> treatment here. He's going to be, be given a purple cloak, a royal color that was glued to his body with his own blood. He's not going to be given a proper throne, but, but a cross, an instrument of torture. The, the humble king riding in on the donkey isn't some cute or accidental detail, but it, it signifies the heart, the, the, the scandalous heart of Jesus' kingship. 
And for those who are willing to go, oh yeah, that's cute, that's nice, oh, that's interesting. Um, they need to be able to, we all need to be able to look deeper into that and go, no, this, this is just one little picture of what we're going to see in full, which is the Son of God hanging on a tree in your place and in mine to, to save the world. This is the nature of Jesus' kingship. Um, he isn't what we think of <laughs> when we typically think of a monarchy or a patriarchy or um, whatever kind of archy comes to mind, <laughs> you know. Um, he's the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's the king who comes in humility, not to judge, he says, but to seek and save the lost. He's the physician come to heal the sick by taking their sickness into himself. He's the good king, the true king, the king that all of the power holders of the world fail to live up to. And he's come. Um, and, and, and as we're going to see, as we do a little bit more in the Gospel of John, it changes everything for us. It is good news. And this should attract us to him. You know, I know the idea of a king, and as we've been talking about in Mark, the idea of these authority holders is scary because the only examples we have are fallen, broken ones in this world. But behold the king who rides in on a humble donkey who goes to the cross willingly for you, who suffers that you wouldn't have to, ultimately. It should attract us to him when we understand the nature of his kingship. And more than that, this is, uh, this is a huge part we have to recognize of what it means, of what it's going to mean for you and for me to be sanctified, to look more and more like him, to be conformed to his image. That if we really want to be his disciples, we have to more and more and more, we will more and more by the power of the Spirit embrace this servitude that he did for us. No servant is greater than his master. He taught us. If he suffered, we're going to suffer. If his life ultimately was spilled and poured out for the good of those around him, then so too will ours be. And that can be scary, a scary thought, but that is the key and the path to healing and goodness. And for us being agents in those things in this world, we get to be foretaste and previews of all that, even again as we await for the day that only he can bring when he brings that all in full, but he will bring it in full. That's the promise. Just as his suffering on the cross was only temporary, but he was raised to new life. He promises that to you and to me, that whatever you're going through, whatever amount of suffering you're in, whatever life circumstances bearing down on you, whatever seems impossible to overcome, whenever you're mocked, whenever you're maligned, whenever you're injured, whenever you're sick, whenever you're betrayed, whenever you're rejected, those things will come. But there's an end date. He promises to be with us through those things. And he says there's a, there's a time coming when he draws a line in the sand and he says no more. Every bit of that stuff is done. It's over. He, God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes and we won't shed another one. That's the hope. And that changes everything. If we can believe that, if we can get that, that changes everything about our lives here and now. It changes the way we encounter every single thing that we do. 
if all of this is true about Jesus, then everything is different for us. <laughs> um, so that's Palm Sunday. Uh, there is a crowd who could see in part who Jesus was and what he, what he was about, but that crowd would not be there at his cross. Um, and we don't want to be arrogant enough to say that if we were there, <laughs> that we wouldn't have we wouldn't have been the same way, but we do want to say with the with with the hindsight benefited to us by virtue of being a couple thousand years removed from these events, having the whole picture, uh, having the Holy Spirit within us, may we, um, by the grace of God, try to look upon Him in His fullness, and say yes, wherever You're leading, Jesus, I'll go, uh, because I see Your goodness, and even if it means to the cross. Um, I know you're victorious over that too. Um, so as we enter into Holy Week, may this kind of King be on the forefront of our minds. May he inspire us. Uh, may we come to meet with him and know him and experience him in our lives. May we, may we pursue him today, Sunday, uh, this week, Friday, if you're able to come pray with us. And then we're going to celebrate his victory over death itself. Uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. So, um, and with that, that's the end of the sermon. With that, I just think it's appropriate to, to say a little goodbye to this video format here. Um, man, I have been so struck multiple times during this pandemic at how easily, like how, how, how much of a blessing this technology is that we have. I'm, I'm, I haven't had to buy expensive camera equipment or whatever for the church or, or personally, like I'm just using my phone. We've been able to use our phones. Everyone that's contributed these videos largely has just used their phones. Stuff technology we already have around and it looks nice. We can get it out. We have the internet to beam it into one another's homes and TVs and phones and iPads. And this is amazing. We're so grateful for it. But we've said all along, it is, it is a poor substitute for the people of God gathering together to come you know hear his word read sing praises to him serve one another take communion all the things that we do in our worship gatherings um and so uh that plus just you know preaching into my phone by myself is kind of weird and boring and i know it makes me harder to listen to uh so thanks for your graciousness um so with that we say thank you to the house to house video format but as we transition back to regular Sunday gatherings and the live streaming videos, um, for those of you who, who, who aren't able to make it here at first, um, we do say good riddance <laughs> to a degree. Uh, and I'm just really excited. Um, I'm really excited. It's going to be different, uh, but it's going to be a joy uh, to not have to um, speak through this, this mediated means here of my phone. So goodbye house to house videos. You've served us well. Uh, but hopefully uh, we don't need you again. <laughs> all right. Um, love you all. Uh, can't wait to see you soon. Have a great week.